So the question of where is God really comes after what we talked about last week of who is God. And there's a play on this. They're rather closely related because if we're going, okay, who is God? If God exists. Okay, so if you're saying God does exist, then where is God? And at different points throughout history, sometimes people have focused more on that God is with us very much on our level. God is with humans. We had that at the beginning with Revelation 21.3 in the bulletin. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So that sense of right here, right now, right all around us. And then there's also been this sense of God, a uh, transcendence of some people, you know, will look to the sky, look to the heavens, look out away. And so a sense of how God is so much bigger than just even right here. And so this tension has happened of going, all right, where is God? How is God with us? How is God's presence kind of working? And we get some interesting takes on that throughout the Bible. So today we're going to focus on Exodus again with Moses. Moses is asking absolutely this question. And we're going to look a little bit at the Psalms, which are trying to articulate. And we get it from Jesus of how Jesus is answering it. And then we're going to look at just a quick passage out of Ephesians where it's the early church is wrestling with it. So we're looking kind of all around of how to figure out how maybe to give us a sense so that we don't just stop with where is God? Well, God is all around us. Okay, well, let's move on. But instead, how do we begin to look at this question that gives us some depth, gives us some depth in our understanding, kind of how do we move forward? How does it change our path in life? How does it contribute to our journey? How does it give us a new understanding in our relationships? So all kinds of things get wrapped up into this question of where is God? And like I said, we're going to really focus on the Exodus passage. And Exodus 33, it's coming after the golden calf, the famous golden calf passage that, you know, it gets depicted in the Charlton Heston in most of the Exodus movies. And the people have melted down all of their jewelry that they took out of Egypt. They've built a golden calf. They're dancing around. They're partying. They're like, this is what we're worshiping because this is what we can see. We are experiencing in real time, concrete ways, the golden calf. And with God, we're kind of having a little bit of issue here with and for ourselves, it's kind of easy to look on the Israelites and kind of laugh at them and go, hey, what's your problem, man? Like, why are you guys dancing around a golden calf? But we worship all kinds of things. We worship success, money, jobs. We worship status. We worship people, fame. We worship knowledge, ourselves. We worship, spend a lot of time focused upon even our worries, safety, right? Like there are all kinds of ways that we worship other things that we dance around and give our energy to in life. And so really it's about the fact that they're struggling. They are struggling to understand how God is with them, how God is guiding them and leading them 
And Moses, Moses is like, okay, so I get it. I am supposed to lead the people. I am supposed to lead them into a new way. But hey, God, this is a real struggle at this point. Where are you? And so the story we're looking at today, the part of it, is Moses questioning. Moses going, okay, I've done all this stuff, but where are you really, God? So starting in Exodus, the 33rd chapter, verses 12 through 13. Moses said to the Lord, look, you've been telling me, lead these people forward. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. Yet you've assured me, I know you by name and think highly of you. Now, if you do think highly of me, show me your ways so that I may know you and so that you may really approve of me. Remember, too, that this nation is your people. Psalm 139, verses 4 through 6. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. That kind of knowledge is too much for me. It's so high above me that I can't reach it. Okay, so Moses is actually kind of hitting on what the psalmist here is saying. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. So Moses is going, okay, God, like I get it. You are leading me, but I don't exactly know your ways. Who are you going to send? Who's going to help me understand this moment? Where are you? Are you coming in the form of someone else? Are you coming in some other way? Where are you, oh God? And to think about that for ourselves, of questioning, the importance of questioning that. Because sometimes, right, we question and maybe the answer doesn't come easily. Maybe we've questioned and we're like, no, no, I think I've got it. But the importance here of having that conversation with God, of going, where are you? Where are you in this moment? Where are you when? And that's usually when we start to ask the question. Hey, God, where are you when my life isn't going the way I want it? When things feel like they're falling apart, when they're kind of stressful, when I need fill in the blank, right? We tend to ask that question of where are you, God, in particular moments. And here we see Moses is doing the same thing. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's good that Moses is asking, that Moses is engaging in this questioning, that Moses is engaging with God. And so to have that back on us of going, wait a minute, I may not get this so easily. I may not find the answer readily. So what does it mean to begin to engage, to search, to explore, so that we might discover something more in our lives about where God is? So continuing on in verses 14 through 16. The Lord replied, I'll go myself and I'll help you. Moses replied, if you won't go yourself, don't make us leave here. Because how will anyone know that we have your special approval, both I and your people, unless you go with us? Only that distinguishes us me and your people from every other people on the earth. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? This is Psalm 139, verse 7. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? All right, so Moses, poor Moses here. Moses is like, mm, okay, God, all right, you say I go with you. 
You say that you're going, but do you really? Do you really? Again, an important conversation to have. Moses is trying to get at, okay, if, if your presence really does surround it, if you've said you're going to lead the people, that's what I'm, the path that I'm on, where are you, God, when? Because he makes this important distinction that only, only the presence of God begins to give a distinction to the people, to Moses, that God is with them in a particular way, in the way that they need and not just for their time in the wilderness, but even as they go forward into this new land. And so to have him say, only that distinguishes us, me and your people, from every other people on the earth. Being able to articulate in some way, being able to get a sense of how God is with us is something unique. And so this pursuit of this question is somewhat unique for Moses for that time. And maybe it's kind of unique for now because we so easily go, well, that's a really almost impossible question. We can easily go all around us. And so why even pursue it? Why pursue this line of questioning? And here, here it, it gets connected to identity. And that when we understand how God is with us, how God's presence surrounds us, it begins to formulate, direct, and guide us in different ways. It, to the point that we start to change our identity of understanding who we are in the world as God is with us. As God is going with us as the psalmist says, where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? And so this line of questioning begins to push us in ways of even understanding who we are in the world. Continuing on in verses 17 through 18, the Lord said to Moses, I'll do exactly what you've asked because you have my special approval and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glorious presence. John 14, 7 through 8. If you have really known me and you will also know the father from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father. That will be enough for us. Okay, so what's interesting here is this passage, uh, this interaction out of John 14 and Philip. So this is Jesus talking, starting, if you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip's like, mm, I don't know. Are we sure about that? Philip is asking the exact same question as Moses. All right. So that tells you, right, that this is kind of one of those struggles of, okay, God, where are you? I want to know your presence. I want to know how you are in life with me. And the way that Jesus answers Philip is really kind of important because this is actually starting to point us to next week's question. Because Jesus is like, okay, the way you've experienced me, the way that I have been present, the way that I have lived, the way that I have taught gives you an indication of who God is. 
right? If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. So this sense then of how do we know who God is, where God is, starts to be connected to the life of Jesus. And so Jesus gives Philip an answer, and Philip's like, mm, I'm still not sure of it. And so to think about that for ourselves, of God's presence in our own lives, of how sometimes, right, we have particular expectations. We have expectations on how God should be present, of where God should be, of how God should be acting. And so sometimes our expectations actually keep us from experiencing, right? Because Philip has particular expectations of what this will look like. Jesus says, no, the way you've experienced me, now you know what God is like. You have a sense of what God is like. You've caught glimpses of God. And Philip's like, eh, that's not what I expected. And so for Moses as well, Moses is like, okay, I want to experience your glorious presence. And so the expectations he has on that. And so to think about how do our expectations impact knowing, experiencing, discovering God's presence for ourselves. God's presence that is supposedly all around us all the time. Back in January, which was cold, but not too bad, right? I was standing for just a very few moments on a beach looking out at the Atlantic Ocean. And the wind was blowing. It was cold. I was bundled up. But there was something in that moment that made me go, whoa, wow. There was something about where I had somehow laid aside my expectations and I was just fully present in that moment. And it was like God was with me. God was with me in such a way that that joy kind of bubbled up and that peace kind of overcame me. And it was just it was just that small glimpse. But man, wow, it felt so good. And I think about how often we crave those moments of going, wait a minute, I know God is with me. I know it like I can feel it in my bones, like my soul, like this energy of life has filled me in this moment. And so to think about there, of our expectations, of what we expect God to be, how God to be present, and whether or not they get in the way of actually experiencing where God is, of where God is even in a fleeting moment. Continuing on, in verses 19 through 20. The Lord said, I'll make all my goodness pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim before you the name the Lord. I will be kind to whomever I wish to be kind, and I will have compassion to whomever I wish to be compassionate. But the Lord said, You can't see my face because no one can see me and live. John 14, verses 19 through 21. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. 
because I live, you will live too. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. All right. So right there, we get some interesting dialogue because God has said, okay, I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you. All, all of my goodness pass in front of you. And as God articulates what that is, I will be kind to whomever I wish to be kind, and I will have compassion to whomever I wish to be compassionate. And we may be like, oh, so you withhold it from others. Here, let us think about this in terms of we humans do not get to decide who God will be kind to, who God will be compassionate to, because sometimes we tend to want to give compassion, to want to give kindness to those that we only like or that only deserve it. And God's like, okay, all of my goodness of compassion of kindness is about to pass in front of you. And just so you know, Moses, just so you know, it's for whoever I deem it, not who you decide in or out. And it goes along with this sense of Jesus of saying, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So it begins to be right that sense of, all right, so if compassion and kindness is part of who God is, and it's part of my life, that it's, that is God part of me? Is God in me? And so where is God? Not just all around, above, below, at every direction, but instead realizing that God is part of who we are. That fullness of God fills us. When whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me, whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. So this sense of being full of love, being full of compassion, being full of kindness is allowing a little bit of God that is in all of us to be present, to be known. Now, we may have gotten hung up on, and I want to go back to it, but the Lord said, you can't see my face because no one can see me and live. And that may be kind of startling. And it goes along with, there's a passage in John 1 that kind of reiterates that. When it says, uh, John 1, 16 through 18, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace as the law was given through Moses. So grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God... God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. So here we're getting that tension of not seeing God, and yet we get these glimpses, we get these moments where we go, wait a minute, that might have been, did we just experience? They may be fleeting, and yet Jesus, the life of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus gives us a sense of when we catch it of when we notice it, of when we can go, wait a minute, I think that was that we've got a guide in this. 
of what does it mean when God's goodness passes in front of us, when God's goodness is all around us. What does it mean? Does it mean more than kindness and compassion? What does it begin to look like? So finishing up in Exodus 21 through 23 verses of chapter 33. The Lord said, here's a place near me where you will stand beside the rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I'll set you in a gap in, in, in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face won't be visible. Ephesians 3, 18 through 19. I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth together with all believers. I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. So here, not only has God said, hey, wait a minute, you know what? Um, my goodness is going to pass by you. But you can't look upon me because no one has ever looked upon God and lived. And then to here have this sense of how God is going to protect Moses, of how God is preparing Moses for the moment, preparing Moses to experience God's goodness passing by. And to think about that for ourselves of when we're wondering, where is God? How is God present? How is God working in our lives? How is God changing who we are or the direction that we're on? How are we preparing ourselves for that? What are the things that we're engaging in? What are the conversations? What are the studies? What are the prayers? What are the conversations with God, with others? How are we preparing ourselves to experience that goodness, to be able to say, wait a minute, I think I've noticed, wait, I've set aside my expectations, so now I can see, now I can observe. There's also this sense of, as God is preparing Moses, and this sense of, you cannot fully look upon, no one can look upon and live. It's like, God's magnificence is so brilliant that it is beyond our life, our capacity to, to receive it, to, to fully, in all of its fullness, of all of its goodness, to, to fully grasp it, right? I'm trying to describe the indescribable. And so, right, words start to break down. Our language has a hard time with it. And even the metaphor, like, I thought of this metaphor about how do I explain what's going on here? And I thought about how, right, the sun, we need the sun. And this is, please remember, this is a metaphor. We need the sun to live. That part is literal, right? We need the warmth. We, we must have it. And yet, we can't look at the sun. If we do, we'll go blind. We cannot stare at the sun. It is so powerful that it can damage us. That what we need for life, this energy of life, is so magnificent that it can cause us issues if we stare upon it directly. And so I think about 
how the magnificence of God, the magnificence of this kindness and compassion, and any other attribute we, we could throw out there easily, forgiveness, mercy, we could throw out there um, patience, we could throw out all kinds of things, right? And that when we try to grasp it and look upon it, we can only get a glimpse because if we were to see it fully, it would be beyond our life's comprehension. It would be beyond what we could fully grasp. And what's interesting about this interaction between God and Moses is in chapter 34, if you jump ahead a few verses, you would actually see what happens. And so I just want to read like just a couple of these verses in chapter 34. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the, the Lord, a God who is compassionate and merciful, very patient, full of great loyalty and faithfulness, showing great loyalty to a thousand generations, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. So when God's goodness passes in front of Moses, when it finally happens, and who knows what Moses expected. You know, there were times where Moses wanted God to just be the fixer at every step of the way. Be like, no, no, you take care of it. And here, what is given, what is experienced, is compassionate and merciful, patient, loyal, faithfulness, thousands of generations, forgiving everything. And so when we are going, where is God? How are we catching glimpses of those things? And I get that sometimes those things can feel so far away, especially when we feel like things are falling apart, when things aren't going our way, when we are struggling. And sometimes we can be like, we catch a glimpse and we get a moment of it and we want to hold on to it so tight that we begin to only think of that and we miss everything around us. And so to not be able to fully look upon God's goodness really is this sense that God is there at all times for us, that God is moving and being in all the ways that we need. And if we were to say, well, no, God looks exactly like, we might miss something else of who God is. Because had Moses seen, looked upon God, Moses would have been able to describe God. And then, like I said before, a lot of times we like to make the indescribable describable. And so Moses all of a sudden be like, no, this is exactly who God is. And then anything outside of that would have been impossible. And we would have moved away from God will be whom God will be. And so to be careful about putting God in parameters. And so God keeps Moses from being able to do that. God gives guidance. God gives ways of understanding the sense of mercy and compassion and forgiveness and kindness and what exactly is going on, you know, with this love, with, okay, so if Jesus is giving us a sense, a real sense of who God is, if this, if Jesus is God with us and this is how he lived, then that begins to give us direction, searching, experiencing, but it still isn't the complete picture of it. And so to realize that that happens because God will be whom God will be. 
And all of us need God in all kinds of different ways. And so to be able to set aside that, that we cannot put God in a box, that instead we get to experience God new and fresh every day in ways that are unexpected, in ways that can uplift, in ways that can change our identity, in ways that can give us a direction into a life that we never could have imagined. And so how will we allow the story of Moses, these questions, this conversation, how will we allow the way Jesus answers it, how will we allow the descriptors of the Psalms give us perspective in where God is in our lives today? How will we allow it to change us to change our conversations with others. Amen.